up, everybody? It's Thursday. We're back. It's been, I'd say, a productive week for myself. Hopefully, it's been productive for you as well. In whatever aspect uh, may lead or may get you to be productive to get closer to your goals or at least think about them. And thinking's been a big part of my past longer than a week i mean it's been a while we'll say a couple months and and upon getting to this book for this for this week's episode um reflection is a word that i didn't think about but it's basically i'll say for now it's basically what i've been doing for the past i mean no we're in april so we'll say a solid three and a half months, especially once getting back from Nashville after our trip this past December, really diving deep and, uh, and also with the intention of, of pausing on the Jordan Peterson book. Um, I haven't stopped reading necessarily. I bought two more books. I got two other books. One's called one minute prayers for men. And the other one is man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl which has to do with World War II and his uh his experience in the concentration camps and that one it's and I was going to try to use that on the podcast but it's very I mean it's it's only like two sections and it's very deep but there's so, there's so much detail that I can't I I couldn't skip a lot at least for now I'm going to I'm going to finish it first before I uh, see if I can dive into that here but for today i'm gonna read a chapter titled reflections which is off of major dick winners ward what ward excuse me ward war world war ii veteran which he just passed away last year i believe late last year uh, but this book is titled Beyond the Band of Brothers, The War Memoirs of Major Dick Winters. And the reason I, I had picked up this book in the first place was because Jocko reviewed, I believe, the whole book. And chapter 16, which is the last chapter, is titled Reflections again. And, and uh, I know there's there's 10 success, ten, 10 steps to success that major dick winner major winners uh brings up he calls them the leadership uh, leadership at the point of the bayonet 10 principles for success and i'm gonna essentially go through those 10 uh i'm gonna start with introduction first and then i'll i'm, I'm just gonna say i'm one I'm, i'll say one the principle and then I'll, I'll i'll read some details that are actually in the book because he he puts them in his writing but then he but then at the end of the chapter he puts he puts them in order and uh he he uh or as far as the way the book was written he has number 9 after number 10 on the writing if that makes sense either way I'll go in order uh after I read this instruction and then we'll go from there One of the last things Steve Ambrose told me before his death in 2003 was, from now on, Winters, if you're going to talk about anything, talk about leadership. Leadership is an interesting concept and somewhat difficult to, to define. 
General George Patton once said, Leadership is the one thing that wins battles. I have it, but I'll be damned if I can define it. Like Patton, I have been fascinated with leadership. It is something that you have within you that gets the job done. Was I a successful leader? They tell me I was, and modestly prevents me from disagreeing with them. I am so I am not so naive that I don't realize that the wide op wide appeal of Dick Winters today is based on leadership and combat. I may not have been the best combat commander, but I always strove to be. My men depended on me to carefully analyze every tactical situation, to maximize the resources that I had at my disposal, to think under pressure, and then to lead them by personal example. I always felt that my position was where the critical decision had to be made. Nor am I ashamed to admit that fear was a principal factor that contributed to my success as a leader. I was always afraid of letting my men down, and I was always afraid of dying. It was a combination of these fears that drove me to learn everything I could about my profession so I could bring as many of my men home from war as possible. Having said that, I am not sure there is such a thing as a natural-born leader. Some leaders are born with special aptitudes or talents, but any success I might have had was the product of good upbringing, in intense study and preparation and physical conditioning that set me apart from many of my peers. I was also surrounded by a group of men who were disciplined and highly trained to accomplish any mission. Any mission. Add luck to the equation and you can understand that the secret to my success was that somehow I always managed to survive another day. And that's the little introduction that starts chapter 16. Now I'm going to dive right into the principles. If I were to give advice to a young leader going to war, based on my observation of what had constituted the success of the outstanding leaders who comprised the American Parachute Infantry Regiments of World War II, I would offer a series of principles that I am certain would result in great success, regardless of which field of endeavor the individual was participating. So here's number one. Strive to be a leader of character, competence, and courage. First and foremost, a leader should strive to be an individual of flawless character, technical competence, and moral courage. In Anton Meyer's best-selling novel, Once an Eagle, which is on the required reading list of many senior military officers, the protagonist Sam Damon says, You can't help where you were born, and you may not have much to say about where you die, but you can and you should try to pass the days in between as, as a good man. How do you become a good man? You start with a cornerstone, honesty. And from there, you build character. If you have character, that means the guy you are dealing with can trust you. When you get into combat and you get in a situation such as we were in a long the dike of in Holland. When I gave the orders, ready, aim, fire, nobody else was thinking about anything except what he had been told to do. The men trust in you, have faith in you, and they obey. No questions asked. 
That's character in a nutshell. Character provides a leader with a moral compass that focuses his efforts on the value we, we cherish. Courage, honesty, honesty, selflessness, and respect for our fellow man. Character also allows you to make decisions quickly and correctly. Some may question my decision to disobey a direct order from my commanding officer at Hag Haguna and to quote-unquote fake another patrol as a violation of the very principle that I am advocating. In my heart, however, I could not send my men to risk their lives for no apparent reason, when clearly nothing would have been gained that we had not already achieved. Such a course takes a degree of moral courage, which I have found is far rarer than physical courage. Was I correct? In my estimation, I thought so, and I have never regretted my decision. The same holds true for developing leaders of competency. Those entrusted to lead must study their profession to become totally proficient in tactics and technology. Prior to the invasion, I read every tactical manual I could lay my hands on to improve my tactical knowledge and professional competence while the other soldiers were out caressing in the pubs. While they were enjoying the social life of the neighborhood ta neighboring towns, I was reading and educating myself, getting ready to lead the men into battle, into combat. While I was staying in the Barnices for the nine months that they hosted me, I was studying, developing my own personality, my own personal perspective on command. Their intense study paid huge dividends in Normandy. Before the final attack at Novel, I studied the infantry manual for the attack. I must have read that manual hundreds of times, but if I could glean one additional insight with another reading, perhaps I might save one more life. The bottom line is that the leader that leaders have entrusted to them the most precious precious commodity this country possesses, the lives of American sons and daughters. Consequently, they must have a thorough understanding of their profession. Number two, lead from the front. Say, follow me and then lead the way. Second, don't waste time attempting to define leadership. No need to go to the dictionary. The infantry school at Fort Benning, Georgia has defined leadership in just two words via its motto, follow me. Never ask your team to do something you wouldn't do yourself. When I hit the ground outside Saint or Sweet Mary Gleese, armed only with a trench knife, there was no time to conduct a lengthy estimate of the situation or to find my leg bag. I grabbed the first trooper I could find and said, follow me. Off we went until, until other paratroopers joined us as we proceeded to our D-Day objective. At Breakcourt Manor, Carrington, at the, and at the crossroads on the dike in Holland on October 5, I made a quick but thorough reconnaissance, then developed a plan, and personally led the attack. You cannot make sound decisions unless you are at the point of the attack. Leaders should always position themselves where, they, where the critical decisions must be made. Precisely where that location should be is a judgment call. But in my experience, leaders should be as far forward as possible. Successful leaders must be highly visible 
if for no other reason than to share the hardships of their men. I am thinking of George, General George Patton, who made a habit of always visiting the front lines in his jeep or tank. When he returned to his field headquarters, he normally altered his mode of transportation to an airplane to avoid having his men seeing him moving back. Number three, stay in top physical shape. Physical stamina, stamina is the root of mental toughness. Physical fitness is another prerequisite for success. I freely admit that I was blessed with a sound physical constitution, but whenever possible, I took opportunity to improve my physical stamina. Because I was such in good physical shape, I easily survived Tacoa. While men washed out on a daily basis, the contingent for, from Easy Company that completed the training and earned their wings at Fort Benning were tough as nails. Not surprisingly, I felt that I was in the best physical shape in my life as Easy Company prepared for the invasion at Aldborn. This did not happen by accident. Following a rigorous day of training, I would take a run every morning following tea with the Bar Barnices. As they were on their way to bed, I would say, well, I'm going to take a walk. I would go out and run for several miles, even though blackout conditions were in effect. Then I'd come home and go to bed. Because I was such in good shape, my fatigue level never reached the point of physical exhaustion that contributes to mental exhaustion and ultimately to combat fatigue. We all experience sleep deprivation at times. That was the nature of stress. But a physically exhausted leader routinely makes poor decisions at a time of crisis. Number four, develop your team. If you know your people, are fair in setting realistic goals and expectations, and lead by example, you will develop teamwork. A fourth key to Easy Company's success, as well as 2nd Battalions, centered on, develop on the development and the nourishment of teamwork. Captain Sobel began the process at Tokoa. He undoubtedly deserves much of the credit for developing such a cohesive team, but the teamwork didn't end there. The non-commissioned non officers kept their squads and platoons physically hardened and combat ready. Until casualties removed so many Tokoa men from the ranks, Easy Company was just a, about the finest rifle company in the Euro European theater. Because each knew the other strengths and weaknesses, we could assign the right men to the proper jobs. Burr Smith, who had been a soldier of one kind or another most of his adult life, knew only a handful of great soldiers. One was Bill Guanier, platoon sergeant of 2nd platoon. The loss of Guanier, Joe Toy, and Buck Compton absolutely devastated Easy Company at Bestone. But others immediately stepped into the breach. In this case, First Sergeant Carwood Lipton ensured that the company did not disintegrate. Number five, delegate responsibility to your subordinates and let them do their jobs. If you you can't do a good job if you don't have a chance to use your imagination or or your creativity. I have always felt that my principal contribution to the success of both Easy Company and 2nd Battalion was based on my knowledge of knowing what to expect from each man. It was hardly accidental that I selected Easy's killers 
for the assault on the battery at Brett Court. Nor was it coincidental that I positioned Floyd Talbert on my flank as we destroyed two enemy companies on the dike in Holland. At Hagenau, I knew that Sergeant Ken Mercier would get the job done. Having selected the right man for the right job, I then delegated the authority to my subordinates to allow and allow them to use their initiative to execute the mission. There is no need to tell someone how to do his job if you have properly trained your team. This is precisely why I respected Brigadier General Tommy McAuliffe more than General Maxwell Taylor. Steve Ambrose thought I was unfair to Taylor, but I disagree. McAuliffe allowed us the flexibility and the latitude to do what needed to be done. The same holds true with respect to Colonel Sink and Strayer, who rarely interfered in small unit actions. The only time I can think that I purposely interfered with a mission was when I deliberately imposed safety limits on Harry Wal Welsh for a combat patrol access across the Rhine when 2nd Battalion was holding the line in order to seal the Ruhr pocket. Number 6. Anticipate problems and prepare to overcome obstacles. Don't wait until you get to the top of the ridge and then make up your mind. I have also discovered that careful preparation and anticipation of the potential problems eliminate many of the obstacles that one encounters on the battlefield. Don't wait until you get to the top of the ridge and then make up your mind as to what course of action you intend to follow. The reconnaissance that I conducted at Brickhort on June 6th and, uh, and the dike on October 5 paid huge dividends when Easy, when Easy Company swung into action before Sergeant Mercier led his combat patrol across the Motor River to capture some live prisoners. Virtually every possible contingency had been thoroughly anticipated and planned. So, too, was the case of the attack on Foy, where I personally directed the fire support plan. The only thing I had not anticipated was the mental breakdown of the com company commander in the midst of the attack. Fortunately, Lieutenant Spears was on hand to take corrective action and direct the remainder of the assault. Good preparation is always vital to the success of any mission, but leaders must remain flexible once the action commences. Steve Ambrose likes to quote General Eisenhower, who claimed, Before the battle is joined, plans are everything. Once the battle is joined, however, the plans go out the window. Number seven, remain humble. Don't worry about who, who receives the credit. Never let power or authority go to your head. I would also urge leaders to remain humble. If you don't worry about who gets the credit, you get a lot more done. I was only moderately successful in, in assuring my men receive the credit for their actions at Breadcourt and on the island. I recommended every man for a battlefield citation for the assault on the German battery on D-Day. Regrettably, many of the citations were downgraded by higher headquarters, but each trooper received some recognition. When I wrote the after-action report for the defense of the island, I purposely wrote it in the third person. Never once did I use the word I, nor was there any reason to do so. Leaders should assume blame when operation, when the operation fails. When it succeeds, credit the men and women in your team. They do the lion's share of the work.
Number eight, take a moment of self-reflection. Look at yourself in the mirror every night and ask yourself if you did your best. Next, I would encourage Lear to take a moment of self-reflection before rushing into an important decision. Many leaders don't take the time to consider carefully their decisions or the implications of their actions. In battle, I periodically detach myself mentally from the noises and chaos of battle. I found it useful to separate myself momentarily and to carefully think through what actions I needed to take to accomplish the mission. The opportunity for self-analysis allows you to find your own self-consciousness, which in turn tells you if you are getting off track. Nobody will have to tell you what the course of action that you are con contemplating is incorrect or ineffective. If you take advantage of opportunities for personal reflection and if you honestly examine yourself, you will be more a more effective leader. After the squad destroyed the German machine gun position on the dike in October, on October 5, for example, I went off to be alone for a few minutes to think while the remainder of the platoon came forward. In the interim from, the, from when I summoned them forward and when they arrived, I determined that the proper course of action was to conduct a bayonet assault. At Bastogne, the ability to sit back and reflect on the next day's actions ensured our battalion's success on the attacks on Foy and Novo. Number nine, true satisfaction comes from getting the job done. The key to a successful leader is to earn respect, not because of rank or position, but because you are a leader of character. How will you know if you have succeeded? True satisfaction comes from getting the job done. The key to successful leadership is to earn respect, not because of rank or position, but because you are a leader of character. In the military, the President of the United States may nominate you as a commissioned officer, but he, com he cannot command for you the loyalty and confidence of your soldiers. Those you must earn by giving loyalty to your soldiers and providing to their welfare. Properly led and treated right, your lowest ranking soldier is capable of extra extraordinary acts of valor. Ribbons, medals, and accolades then are poor substitutes to, to the ability to look yourself in the mirror every night and know that you did your best. You can see the look of respect in the eyes of, of the men who worked for you. A year before he died, Burr Smith wrote me a letter in which he said, Dick, you were blessed. Some would say, you, you, some would say rewarded. With the uniform respect and admiration of 120 wartime soldiers, essentially civilians in uniform, who would have followed you to certain death. Many, how many men of all of human history have that knowledge to carry to their grave? Certainly no more than a few, and you have it. Looking back from this perspective, you may well feel that you didn't deserve it, but at the time we thought you did, and that's all that counted. Burr was right about one thing. I was extremely blessed to have been the commander of Easy Company. No single individual, quote-unquote, deserved the privilege of leading such a remarkable group of warriors into battle. And to this day, I am humbled by that experience. Number 10. Hang tough. Never, ever give up. Lastly, hang tough. Never ever give up, regardless of the adversity. If you are a leader, a fellow who work who other fellows look to, 
you have got to keep going. And that's Major Dick Winter's 10 principles that he developed from his experience in military that then he took out into the rest of the world, we'll say civilian world. Uh, he, he was asked after his time, especially once the story got out, to speak about leadership and do conferences and a lot of stuff interesting enough similar to what Jocko does now with uh, Echelon Front and again it, it, it this episode ended up, ended up being for me at least about self-reflection at least self-reflection was the principle that got me to want to record this uh, this part of the book even though it's the end and you, you know there's so much detail we talked about his entire trek of going through OCS, which is Officer Candidate School, going through the primary training, and then getting into Easy Company, doing three different, I think it's three main missions that he did, which include Carrington, Holland, and then the chapter eight's The Island. Um, honestly, I, have, I read this book early last year or late 2016. So the details are, I, I have notes written, um, as far as getting me to this. And what started me on this was uh, combat fatigue. There's a piece in here that I need to find that I, I, I want to bring later on. But even here briefly, there was a there's one of the principles where he talks about combat fatigue. Mm. Nonetheless, nonetheless, I, I, know I, I know I said it. I know it's in here. It's one of the principles. But my, and I don't want to take too much time on that. But my point is... Uh, Everybody's going through a battle. Everybody's going through something. And I know if, I, if I'm if i able to detect it in somebody's facial expression, I'm like, hey, what's what's going on? You know, and and and, it, and I think that's part of the main thing that's helped me judge even less. Because I feel like it's so, it's such a habit for maybe I don't I, I won't say the extension of all of us, but. A lot of people, maybe judgments there, like, oh, that person does this or that person does that. And what's helped me get off of that is the fact that, well, everybody's going through something. No matter how small, maybe to somebody else, it's part, it may be a big deal to that actual person going through it. Especially if if the concept of detachment's not there. Which then I, that's what I, that's, that's kind of like my job, I would say. Anyhow. Combat fatigue is in this case, in the examples here, is uh, being overworked, and and leaders like Major Dick Winters to be able to see that in his men, so that and actually not not so that, but and what he did was he would pull those men out. He would say, "Hey," and he would say, "Hey, you have combat fatigue. You, you're not gonna you're not gonna go to this next battle." He'll be like, "Hey." Can you go make sure there's enough of, let's just say water, for example. Can you make sure there's enough water coming out from supply? And so they'd send them back, you know, three or four days to supply just, just to send the message and, and re or relay messages, really. You know, back then there was no text messaging or emails. But uh, uh, combat fatigue was what, or at least the, the concept of combat fatigue was what got me to get this book out. Because I know there's examples in here, like I said, that I want to find. But then upon reading chap rereading chapter sixteen, 
as a whole, I basically read the whole thing. I, there's, like I said, I read the principle and then I went back to the chapter to read the details that major winners gives. But, uh, I'm like, Oh, this is what I'm going to write about. This is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to talk about today for the podcast. And, you know, the title's Reflections. Okay, yes, I, I've been doing a lot of that these past four or five months. Talks about combat fatigue. Yeah, that's been a kind of a theme for me as far as my personal journey in uh, my endeavors, such as music and helping out at the, at the gym. And then I don't, I don't know if realigning, but maybe getting back on track as far as like what goals do I have personally and then macro and bring them out and and even talks in here you know how 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 do your decisions affect others too and that's been that's probably been the biggest thing from the past 3 months at least for me is seeing how my future actions might affect or how 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 I anticipate them to affect uh, others that are surrounding me whether it's the guys in the band my family here at home uh my cousin Luis which you guys have heard him uh you know my friends Brian Danioli all those guys um so, again, hopefully I'm leaving this episode short enough to re-listen to it and write down those principles. And, and, and by the book, it's, it's such a good book. I mean, obviously, it's, it's, a non, it's a non-fiction book, and I'm, I'm kind of a big non-fiction guy. Um, I recommend the read if you want to know a story about, from my perspective, uh, story about being true to yourself to then just perform the way you need to perform no matter what circumstance is given and it's funny enough because there's some little bits in those principles that that Jordan Peterson talks about in his book you know like the, the first one stand up straight but then he talks about you know tell the truth or at least don't lie and what's one of his one of major major winners principles Strive to be a leader of character, competence, and courage. And character starts with honesty. So, I'm going to read the last, again, this is another little spoiler alert, the last good section of the, literally the last, I guess, paragraph and a half of this book and of the chapter Reflections. So, ponder, do, Work out, go for a walk, walk as fast as you can, start sweating, and we'll see you guys next week. And not a day goes by that I don't think of the men I served with who never had the opportunity to enjoy a world of peace. Their collective legacy is best summarized in Henry W. Longfellow's A Psalm of Life. In describing songs of hope and courage, Longfellow writes, Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. I wish to convey a final thought, and I hope that it doesn't sound out of place, but I would like to share something as I look back on the war. War brings out the worst and the best in people. Wars do not make men great, 
but they do bring out the greatness in good men. War is romantic only to those who are far away from the sounds and turmoil of battle. For those of us who served in Easy Company and for those who served their country in other theaters, we came back as better men and women as a result of being in combat. And most would do it again if called upon. But each of us hoped that if we had learned anything from the experience, it was it is that war is unreal and we earnestly hope that it would never happen again.